Hey, Ken. Oh, God. Hey, hi. How's it going? Uh, we are at the advent of a new console generation. Yeah, what's the number? I always get the numbers of the generations mixed up. Is this Gen Is this? 9, 8? It's, I, think it's, I think it's 8. Or it might be 9. Let me think. All right, so... X? I guess are we adjacent most, X yet, as far as the generations go? But do most people... Cons- I thought it was Atari and then NES. Right, that's right. Atari, NES... I'm just going to go by Nintendo consoles. That's usually the easiest way to go to it. So, like, like Atari, NES, SNES, yes, the- N64, GameCube, e- Wii, Wii e- U slash Switch, and now we're entering 8. Okay. Right. Rentering it. Okay. Yeah. It gets a little wonky with, towards the end there with the Wii U slash Switch. But, yeah. So, anyway, new consoles are out, gentlemen. What are the names of the consoles, Justin? God, i talked about this before, <laughs> but I hate this one. The Xbox Series X. I hate the name of it. it looks like a fridge. I actually kind of adore the fact that it looks like a it can float ping pong balls. You can vape into it. You shouldn't, but you can. We live in the best era, Justin. Or the worst. Not not sure. But um and then you, you know, have it's, it's the, uh, the more conventionally named, although less conventional looking, PlayStation Five. And uh what are your kinda overall takes with each one? Because I mean, I, I don't know. You don't have one yet. I don't have one yet. I'm not going to have one until three years down the line when I can get one for $200 used. <laughs> so, like, what are what, what are your, like, thoughts on, like, the reception they're getting right now? What, what's the winner? What's the loser? If there is one. No, but the differences between these two is to start coming in as far as backwards compatibility is concerned is that the Series X, basically, it's just a continuation of the Xbox ecosystem. Right. Whereas the PS5 is, like, the advent of something new. They are, like, they have completely, you know, redone, you know, their their menus and all that stuff, whereas the Xbox, they, they kind of updated it and then carried them on. Right, sure. So that that's a big difference there. I think when it comes down to it, if you, the consumer... You're, when you're going to make your decision. Um, I would say, if you were to have a big foothold in the PlayStation ecosystem, mm-hmm. I would recommend that you just get a PS5. Um, because now that everything can carry over and everything like that, you can just continue what you had. Indeed. Now, if you're not looking, if you're not really invested in either ecosystem, I would recommend the Xbox. Just simply because of Game Pass. You got so many more games on that thing. Now, not any new games. <laughs> like, really at all. But, uh... Eventually, you'll have... Just, it, just like, the, the sheer library of the thing is a selling point in and of itself. Plus the cheaper model. The way cheaper model. Yeah. Well, the, I, the Series S, I don't recommend anybody buy that fucking thing. It's got no storage. Well, yeah, that's the issue. If you're going to primarily be downloading games, you're going to want hard drive space. The way that thing is now, if you download Call of Duty Modern Warfare, you can't fit anything else. So that's not ideal. 
But who knows? And the PS5, on the other hand, I, I think there's not as big of a discrepancy between the disc and discless model for me. I think I would be fine with either. Yeah, I don't know. I I just the thing I hate about the Series S though is just you can hold like four games and then you have to start deleting stuff. Yeah, that's a shame. It's a shame. You have it's to constantly shame. download and re-download and undownload and yeah. Now, a big problem that both of these consoles have is they both have proprietary storage at the moment and it sucks and it's expensive. Yes. So, I and and the, the consoles don't have enough storage to launch. It's like comparatively worse than the previous console generation where both systems had 500 gigs because video games have just gotten so big like for an example when the generation started your biggest games were like 35 gigs right right or like if you if you had Grand Theft Auto 5 that was like 60 yeah and that's one of the biggest games of all time but now Call of Duty is like 200 gigs right hell now games (laughs) most games are getting close to 100 gigs just flat yeah every game so like it's because you know the higher res files you have the bigger the game's gonna be it's just how it works it's right it's not gonna change so but you so to compromise that you need to increase your fucking hard drive space bruh but they and didn't really no not at all they didn't they didn't do shit mm-hmm. it's like they slightly increased it but the problem is they needed to exponentially increase it all these consoles needed to come with at least a terabyte yeah indeed like, the Series X does have a terabyte, which is, I think, is the bare minimum. The PS5 barely has a terabyte. like, has just under a terabyte. It's, like, 825 gigs. It, yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I, I hopefully stuff like Call of Duty is an outlier, but <sighs> the further into the future we're going to go, the higher and higher and higher those gigabyte amounts are going to be. So we'll see. Um, in the meantime... I'm not getting a PS5. Fuck that. Every game that is coming out for it that I want to play is on PS4. Miles Morales, uh, <laughs> Bug Snacks, um, maybe even RE8, although they haven't said for sure if they can make it happen. But uh, for the next couple years. Yeah, it seems like it will be still pretty well supported, which is good news. Yeah, but if you want to buy a if you want to buy a console, you know, no big deal. You're just gonna have to go pay like two grand to a scalper right now. No, you know, no biggie. Not if I find out where he lives and cop that shit for free. <laughs> in a video game. In a video game. In a video game. Of course. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's but it's a still just about everything. It's a celebratory moment. It's always nice to see a new console generation happening. And, you know, as it'll go on, we'll get some great new experiences. I just want to play Demon Souls really bad. Sad right, that's, the one, on the PS5. that's the one thing that's, like, an exclusive right now, and that's, like, a oof. Man. That's a big one. It'd be nice if it that's wasn't, but what are you going to do? Maybe, right. it'll, maybe, yeah, it'll, just, uh, maybe it'll come to PC eventually. But or I'll just get a PS5 not. eventually. Either way. I, I will I will end up getting one. It's just, like, this is the, this is the first console generation in a while that I'm not going to be getting a one pretty close to launch times are tough man you don't need to be spending no five hundred dollars right now yeah well even then i couldn't even if i wanted to i couldn't i couldn't even get one pre-ordered so doesn't matter 
Right. But yeah, I don't know. Have have fun, have fun, kids. Enjoy the new generation. For those of you that have it, why don't you give it to me as a present, as a gift, as a snack? Yeah, dude. Can I have like a PS5 just as like a quick little snack? <laughs> just go to the vending machine. Give me a PS5 real quick. Put in five hundred dollars worth of quarters. <laughs> yeah, sure. Ah, <laughs> you'd be standing there forever. Oh my god. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Get a Jump Show. That's Ken. Hello. How are you all doing today? And I'm Jub. I apologize for my quiet talking, and I'm not as ridiculous as I usually am. One, I'm tired, and two, it's very late at night, and I live in an apartment complex with thin walls. I, so, I could <laughs> yell if I wanted to, but I like this vibe we're going where we're drinking coffee at 6 a.m. Right, and just kind of like chilling. It's not 6 a.m. It's 12 hours. No, it's, it's six hours before that. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's midnight, but... Yeah, I just had 12 in my brain because it's 12.22. Anyway, w- welcome to the Gen and the Job. Uh, today, uh, we are probably going to forego any discussion of anything that isn't The Hobbit because there's a lot to talk about. Much like our Fellowship episode, uh, we're, there's a lot to discuss because... A lot went into the production of this as a trilogy all filmed at once that it's going to bleed into the discussion of movies two and three inevitably. So more discussion on the movie this week, less the next two weeks, and then we'll finally be free of Middle Earth uh, for for a while. Um, I didn't want to be free of Middle Earth until this week. But now we're stuck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Justin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's uh, let's start by just uh, what did you feel about the movie we watched this week, which is called The Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey, the first of the Hobbit trilogy, released in 2012. What what are your, what are your initial thoughts? So I talked. Um, I've I've talked quite a lot about this movie to just like people I know in general. Being a big big Lord of the Rings fan, and like like I talked about before on this show, that The Hobbit is my favorite book of all time. I was incredibly invested in it as a child. I was excited for these movies. Well, I was excited for The Hobbit being a movie until I heard that it was going to be three movies, and then I got scared. <laughs> it is kind because of a, uh, a weird thing. Like a like a it turned like a sixty something page children's book into like a. It's kind of sizable, but like, The Hobbit isn't even as long as one of the Lord of the Rings books. No, it's it's. Yeah, I think actually, if I remember correctly, it's like. Well, even if it's two hundred, it's less. Three ten. 310? Way way more than I thought. Three hundred ten pages. I guess you know it might be less because I have like a big ass version of it like a giant hardcover yeah well and it, it does the text isn't that big on it so that might be why i believe the 
Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King are all about a 300, 200, 400 page jaunt, <laughs> each of them. So, yeah. you know, this is the I prospect think... of if this happened for the Lord of the Rings, that would have been nine movies and way too much. So right. uh, why for turn comparison... the Hobbit into a trilogy? Yeah, here's, here's the exact number. Comparison to Fellowship in paperback is 423. Yes. So this is so they're trying to stretch something that's shorter than one of the one of the books that you know they adapted before into the same amount of runtime basically right so it doesn't work <laughs> i think no is the shit. obvious take you know cuz you know these are you know directed by peter jackson prequel to the lord of the rings one of the most celebrated trilogies of all time it, it should be a slam dunk but the reputation of these films is kind of the polar opposite of the lord of the rings movies so you know it's hard to pinpoint like an exact reason because there are many yeah so i think just to start you have to kind of like go through the motions like we always do and see what led to this happening because the hobbit could have been something very different and i wish it was but i think it is important to note that um i don't hate this movie i don't think you hate yeah, it either but i i do actually like i actually it's enjoy this movie I enjoy an unexpected journey, actually, but that's because a rather large chunk of it is like the opening parts to The Hobbit, and that's fun, and I like it a lot. But when when The Hobbit is actually adapting The Hobbit, it's pretty good. All three of yeah, them. Yeah, I like it a lot. Now, huh? when it's doing other stuff, which is constantly, it's not very good. Right, I think that's, that's how problem. you just boil it down, but it's a little more complicated than that. So, let's go back to um, a, a while ago. Uh, the first attempt to make The Hobbit into a movie, besides the animated <laughs> Rankin and Bass one, uh, is Peter Jackson trying to make it even before he makes Lord of the Rings, right? We talked about this in our Fellowship episode. That was his initial pitch making the hobbit as a would you believe single movie and then making the lord of the rings a two-part film after that everything changed mainly because you have harvey weinstein harvey hopefully dies in prison weinstein hopefully uh hopefully. <laughs> having a hard time securing the rights to the hobbit that is because the hobbit film rights were owned by mgm whereas the lord of the rings film rights were not so they were able to get the lord of the rings film rights but not the hobbit film rights which is a complicated stupid process as rights usually is but after the massive success that Peter Jackson and everyone had from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, things are different. MGM, a little, little more willing to play ball. <laughs> a little more willing to say, hey, I see that big pile of money you're sitting on over there. Can I get some of that money? 
so uh, now they're all of a sudden very interested in collaborating with New Line Cinema on a Hobbit project. However, you know, money has a way of making you make uh, interesting decisions. Uh, and yeah, sure. The Lord of the Rings comes out. It's a huge success. They're all very successful. They make tons and tons and tons and tons of money. Wins all the Oscars. Here come lawsuits. As 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 famous things are usually followed by. <laughs> no way. Peter Jackson sues New Line for lost profits he felt were being withheld from him. The Tolkien estate sues New Line to get what they claimed was their fair share promised to them from the trilogy's gross. Both of these suits are settled out of court, but they take a long fucking time to solve, I guess. Now, I'm not going to get into who's right and who's wrong. I usually would side with not the big movie company, <laughs> the, the Tolkien estate probably had a point. Jackson probably had a point. Regardless, what I'm more interested in is this makes it so that The Hobbit isn't happening immediately to capitalize on the success of The Lord of the Rings immediately. This doesn't come out until 2012, 2013, 2014. Whereas Return of the King came out 2003. So nearly 10 years of you know figuring out what the movie's going to be and in the middle of all that lawsuits <laughs> it's, so you know we're taking a long time to get this project off the ground which I think is part of how these movies are so different from what Lord of the Rings was if they would have made it yeah. closer to Lord of the Rings I think it would have turned out a little better a little because it would have had the same probably like what is the same like like uh production and like directorial demeanor that yes. the Lord of the Rings movies have, you know what I mean? Peter Jackson wouldn't have changed as much. And also he probably wouldn't have made it. Um he didn't want to at first. And he might not have wanted to uh during <laughs> possibly. So well, well, here's another aspect of that. So New Line was a big company before The Lord of the Rings, but that was a new level of success. That's something that gets bigger studios looking at you and going, hmm, maybe we should own them, and therefore we own The Lord of the Rings. And that's pretty good. So WB, the big Warner Brothers buys New Line. And uh, that changes things, too. Because now it's not just, hey, we here at New Line believe in Peter Jackson and his vision. Now it's, hey, here's 50 executive suits going, well, yeah, sure, that's good, but maybe you should do this because we saw that focus groups like this and focus groups like this. And maybe that wasn't in the movie initially, but it's it's in the movie now. So this is a bigger part of the process now, which yeah. sucks. It's only ever ruined movies. You know, you know, I'm get, I, yep. I kind of get flashbacks to um, 
talking about Justice League a bit, talking right. about these movies. Uh, both WB, both extremely expensive productions, both disappointing. Both uh, had a director switch before production really went underway. Uh, both uh, have massive fan movements that probably would have preferred the other director. Uh, now, granted, Zack Snyder is a little worse. <laughs> A lot worse than Guillermo del Toro. But, uh, you know, there's similarities here, at the very least. Yeah. So, Peter Jackson doesn't want to make profit. He really right. doesn't. He spent years and years planning and making The Lord of the Rings. So he's, like, done with Middle Earth. You know, the next thing he makes is King Kong. And then after that, he scales way the fuck down and makes uh, the Lovely Bones or yeah. or the Lonely Bones. Is it Lonely or Lovely? I've never seen that movie. I, I, um, I haven't either. I don't remember. The Lonely slash Lovely Bones. The Bones. The bo- <laughs> Bones. But uh, so, <laughs> you know, and that's like a that's like a way lower budget, lower low key movie. And I understand why. Because Lord of the Rings is such a massive undertaking to deal with for, like, probably a solid decade of your life. I understand not wanting to jump right back into it. So, but he does want to remain on board to write, to produce... And to oversee the project, but wants another director to come on board and give their own interpretation of Middle Earth, which is sounds reasonable. Sounds like a good idea. And this is Guillermo del Toro, as I alluded to <laughs> earlier. Have, how, have you seen any Guillermo del Toro movies? Oh, plenty. See, I've never seen the big one, and this is probably why he was the guy in line to get this job, which is Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I still don't see it. Uh, I remember when this was originally talked about, like, way, way long ago. Uh-huh. And I, I, I didn't think it was a fit then. Um, I think... He is such a... His direction for filmmaking is so, like, strange and out of whack. And I feel like... I don't think it would have served The Hobbit. Right. Too much. The, the thing about The Hobbit, like, what is great about the tone... Like wonderful, fantastical, like lighthearted. It's a children's book, as opposed right. to like a big epic, like fantasy for adults. You know that that's the key the difference the between the two works by Tolkien is there's different audiences he was aiming for. Right. Yeah. So, like, I was hoping you know that they would, <coughs> if they were going to get director that wasn't Peter Jackson would be somebody who could capture that tone. I don't think Del Toro's it. Yeah, just because Pan's Labyrinth it does have fantasy, but it's also like a World War II movie or some shit. Like like it's there's a lot yeah, of fucked of. up shit going on in that movie. And he's he's darker. He has more of like a horror, maybe like low-key Lovecraftian kind of vibe to yeah. his work and he does. You know, but I think he can make things that are a little more campy and funny 
Like, and I think a, a maybe a better example of something that I would want the Hobbits to have the tone of under Guillermo del Toro would be like the Hellboy movies, maybe, as opposed to like something like Pan's Labyrinth. But that's the one that got floated around yeah. because that was his big Oscar winner. Like he won Best Director for that, I think. He did, yes. So, you know, and it's fantasy. So that's the one that people are going to look at, I suppose. Not necessarily Hellboy 2 or anything like that, <laughs> even though I would say there's fantasy elements in that movie. There's like dark elves and shit, but uh, whatever. So I don't know. It's an interesting question of what it, whether it would have worked or not if taken to its full conclusion. But I would support a different creative vision making this than Peter Jackson because it's a little more interesting that way. We've seen Thanks, him make three of these movies. I, I'm i good. I don't need one more. Let somebody else do it. He was right, initially. <laughs> so, he joins the project in 2008. He's writing the movie with Peter Jackson, and Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens returning from writing The Lord of the Rings. So, the vibes seem good. <laughs> because Guillermo del Toro's great. He's great in a different way, but you'd also have everybody on board from the previous one. And the plan is for it to be two films from the outset, which is still too many, but it's not three. Could it have worked better as two movies, you think? Oh, definitely. The, the less of this, the better. Yeah, in a weird way. It's It sounds weird to say that, but I don't know. There's a fan edit I've never seen of The is Hobbit. Is it the one that, is, the one that it compresses it? I think it's called the Tolkien edit, and I think yeah. it's called that because it only puts in stuff that Tolkien intended to be in the hobbit i believe and compresses it and removes a lot of stuff which is good <laughs> um but uh filming was to commence in new zealand in 2010 a joint production from warner brothers slash new line and mgm lots of hands in the cookie jar for this movie you know Del Toro wanted to bring his own spin to things. This is a quote from Del Toro on what he wanted to do. Quote, The first film will stand on its own, and the second will be a transition and a fusion with Peter's world. I plan to change and expand the visuals from Peter's, and I know the world can be betrayed in a different way. Different is better for the first one. For the second, I have the responsibility of finding a slow progression and mimicking the style of Peter. I think that could have been an interesting direction to take. That, like, as the story progresses, it would become more like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of what ended up happening, but <laughs> like not in the good exactly way. Exactly what happened. Um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It's yeah. not good. Bad, really bad. So Jackson and Del Toro, uh, contrary to what you may think, 
did have a positive working relationship. They compromised on issues they had with each other's takes on the material. And I think one of these big compromises came in the form of Del Toro wants to use more animatronics and practical effects than Peter Jackson does. But Del Toro's helming it at the moment, so a lot of their early production is spent with the intention for more practicality to be used. Also, Del Toro works with certain actors, and Peter Jackson works with certain others. So Del Toro right. wants to bring in some of his guys that he uses frequently. He wants Ron Perlman to play Bjorn, which would have been cool. <laughs> he wants yeah, been. Doug Jones to be in there somewhere. Doug Jones is, uh, you know, his, his, I guess, Andy Serkis, for lack of a better uh, example. Because, you know, he's the guy that always plays a big, uh, you know... A character wearing a, an extravagant outfit of or a costume of some degree. He's Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies. He's right. Pan and Pan's Labyrinth and, and a lot of other characters in that movie. Um, you know, he's the big, like, wearing a lot of crazy shit guy. So, but then we come down to it. Because you know Del Toro didn't direct this movie. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So so what so what what happened? Um, what happened? Again? <laughs> what happened is now the official story. Uh huh. Officially. Officially, quote unquote. Del Toro leaves the project in 2010 because delays from MGM had stalled the project. At a press conference in May of 2010. Del Toro said the following, quote, There cannot be any start dates until the MGM situation gets resolved. We have designed all the creatures. We've designed the sets and the wardrobe. We have done animatics and planned very lengthy action sequences. We have scary sequences and funny sequences, and we are very, very prepared for when it's finally triggered. But we don't know anything until MGM is solved. I believe this was the case with MGM stalling production maybe trying to get a deal with how much money they make at the bottom line. But uh, for reasons I'll get into shortly, I have to question whether it was that big of a deal. Because a few days later, after saying this, Del Toro officially announced... He was leaving the project. I have another quote from him about leaving the project. Quote, In light of ongoing delays in the setting of a start date for filming, I will take leave from helming. The mounting pressures of conflicting schedules have overwhelmed the time slot originally allocated for the project. I remain an ally to it and its makers, present and future, and fully support a smooth transition to a new director. So as you can imagine, and, and we lived through this, uh, the internet doesn't like this news. They really don't like this news. They're very mad. They write lots of angry things to MGM. <laughs> 
it, like you know because that's the main party that people feel is responsible here for why del toro is leaving and why the hobbit isn't happening and at the time people you know wanted these movies <laughs> little be careful what you wish for i, I suppose um now del toro tried to quell people's anger at mgm with a, a quote from him it wasn't just mgm these are very complicated movies economically and politically hmm, i wonder what he means by that we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> so there's initial worry that I think is well-founded, because we've seen this happen before, that this movie is going to end up in the hands of someone like that is shit, like a Brett Ratner. You know what I mean? And as as bad as these movies did end up, <sighs> they're still Peter Jackson movies at the end of the day. They're not Brett Ratner movies, which is, is, is a positive in my book. <laughs> so, but yeah, in October of 2010... It's announced that Peter Jackson himself would direct the films. Not only that, but filming would commence in early 2011. So here's where you put on the tinfoil hat, right? I got it ready. You got your tinfoil hat on? Yep, it's on. So Del Toro quits because it's taking too long for the movie to happen. Only for the movie to be confirmed to be happening... Only a few months after his departure? We can only speculate. But that seems fishy to me. Uh, especially considering the amount of work Del Toro claimed to have already put into the project. There was a lot of work already done. A lot of work that was scrapped and started over on once Peter Jackson joined. Nothing's been really confirmed about this beyond what has been said by all the parties involved officially. But I will invite you to go hmm with me. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Hmm. Mm. Okay, there, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, seriously, like, do you kind of agree with me that this is kind of like, huh? Yeah, no, it's issues. Yeah, not to just compare it to Justice League again, but it kind of like, you know. Same vibes. Same vibes of Zack Snyder going like, look, something's happened. I got to leave. I handpicked Joss Whedon. And then it seems like that, that might not have been the case. That might have been like the studio handpicked Joss Whedon and said, Zack Snyder, get the fuck out of here. Uh, which, which isn't cool. It's not cool. But this is only half of the issue facing The Hobbit. The other big thing going on in 2010. New Zealand. So uh, this is a fairly complicated issue, and I'm going to try and describe it in as like, you know, compactly as I can, I suppose. Um, a big, good source of great information about 
about the Hobbits in general, I, I highly recommend going to check out uh, Lindsay Ellis's three-part video series on it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a two-parter that has three parts, which is kind of a, a joke about the Hobbits uh, production. But um, she goes into this in great detail in I believe the third of the segments. This is a big part of this story, and I can't really talk about The Hobbit or feel any way about The Hobbit without talking about it. So, in May of 2010, the New Zealand Actors' Equity received sample contracts that were being offered to actors' agents. These contracts were rejected by the NZAE, New Zealand Actors' Equity, for being a bad deal. Especially where residuals were concerned. The International Federation of Actors gets involved and issues a do-not-work order, advising that the producers have refused, this is a quote, to engage performers on union-related agreements, end quote. And that any actors choosing to work on The Hobbit Project would possibly be expelled from the union. So this leads to Warner Brothers looking into taking the production the fuck out of New Zealand. (laughs) This possibility that the Hobbit movies won't happen in New Zealand like the Lord of the Rings movies did leads to large-scale protests from thousands of New Zealanders in October of 2010. So, So... to give you so, to give you a little background on that, if you're not familiar, The Lord of the Rings, filmed in New Zealand, Peter Jackson's native country, had kind of helped put New Zealand on the map for tourism and film production. And the worry is that The Hobbit filming elsewhere would cost the country's economy up to $1.5 billion. So... That's a big concern. That's a lot of jobs that aren't getting filled, and a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of opportunity that goes elsewhere. So the citizens and workers in New Zealand are really not happy at all with this potential uh, not filming in New Zealand situation. So Warner Brothers execs fly in to negotiate with the New Zealand government. And they agree to film the Hobbit movies in New Zealand. However, in return, New Zealand removed the right of film workers to organize unions, a move which has been widely criticized in New Zealand. And the kicker... (laughs) is that through emails and documents released in 2013, it was discovered that an agreement to film the Hobbit movies in New Zealand had already been made prior to the protests even taking place, which Warner Brothers and New Zealand's government declined to notify anyone of. The production wasn't even in danger at any point of being taken away from New Zealand. But New Zealand unions got fucked all the same. So, that sucks. Yeah, what the, like, 
It's it's so it's so fucked. it's so fucked, man. Like right now, New Zealand is kind of in a tough spot economically yeah. because Lord of the Rings puts you on the map. Now it's not just this big Middle Earth sequel or prequel, sorry, trilogy that is getting filmed and creating a lot of jobs. Tons of people. James Cameron is filming the Avatar sequels in New Zealand. Uh, Taika Waititi filmed Thor Ragnarok in New Zealand. It's getting a lot of attention, but the dark side of that, you know, because the positive is New Zealand gets a lot of revenue. New Zealand gets a lot of jobs. But the negative is that there's no union for the film workers and actors. So they can kind of get away these American films with filming in New Zealand, not because it is a pretty place and not because it is a nice place, but because it is cheaper and you can get away with more and pay people less, which is fucked up because now they can just do it with no repercussions. Right, to time to big critica- criticize capitalism, baby. This is how yeah, you it works fucking go like a, ahead. I will make you. <laughs> this is what this is what happens in, in in like certain worldwide markets when it's all pure free trade. The countries with less regulations who are more eager to fuck over their workers will be more attractive to the billion dollar making companies who would love to just pay their workers less money and increase their profit margins. So they'll always go to those places. Why? So it's cheaper in China. That's why it's cheaper in New Zealand. Is because the restrictions get lifted, or they weren't there in the first place, and then like fucking, like fucking plague rats spreading disease, they fucking come in and make it worse for all the people living there. And that is exactly what happened here and what continues to happen in places like New Zealand. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because. Because of how special the Lord of the Rings was, and you want to think of it as a positive. It was. Well, Lord of the Rings, okay. Lord of the Rings was undoubtedly a positive. Like, right. It is not the fault of that movie being produced in New Zealand. They, while that movie was being filmed, there were union workers and they all had their rights and everything. That shit wasn't removed until. The Hobbit. Right. Yeah. Which you may notice has more executive oversight than when it's just mm. when it's just New Line and Peter Jackson going and making this big expensive great grand adventure film this is a little more corporate a lot more corporate it Warner Brothers through. is you know second only to Disney and that's only because Disney bought a bunch of shit like in the past 5 years so like it's it's this big evil company, <laughs> and I mean you know I I like a lot of movies that they make, but every every company this big is to a degree evil because they're gonna do shit like this, even if the Hobbit movies were great, uh, it doesn't remove this from happening. So oops, everybody got fucked. Now, this is this is what happens yeah. when 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 these fucking idiots get their hands to this shit. I don't know how. I don't know why. At this point in in like 
our world's history with all of the fucking things you can point back to why these studio execs and higher-ups still love just getting their grubby fucking hands in every single one of these productions when every single time it is statistically proven that they always make it worse and they will make less money from it, but somehow they still want to do it. It doesn't make sense, man. And that's exactly like it's a big portion of what happened with the Hobbit. Yes. You have a lot less creative oversight, and but also like you have a less creative. I think you have a less creative leader from Peter Jackson while you're at it. On top of that, so it just makes things worse. And like even if like he had like a higher degree of like creative freedom on it, I think it would still would have been slightly better. Still, obviously nowhere near as good as the Lord of the Rings films. It's less of a passion project. Yes. But you would have more, and it's just like, I don't really, I really don't understand it. We've gotten to the point, it's more than obvious now that every single time this happens, it doesn't work. It's so, it's so baffling to me. They just don't care, it's like an ego thing. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, you know, I'm glad for New Zealand that they, they did get The Hobbit because they made more money and had more jobs with it getting filmed there. And also it doesn't take away the look of Middle Earth, which is important. Yeah. You know, it's important for New Zealand's tourism industry. <laughs> and, you know, somebody got to be able to sell them overpriced mugs at the Hobbiton gift shop, you know? I will, I will Not buy right them now, and give a but shit. Yeah. <laughs> one, one day... One day, I will go there. Yeah. One day. It's been a lifelong dream of mine ever since Lord of the Rings movies came out, and I heard that, you know, they have a whole thing set up there. Oh, yeah. There's I've fucking, wanted to go. There's a fucking giant dwarf statue when you come in at the airport. Yeah. Like, they go all out. Well, it's it's a big part of, like, their, their modern heritage, you know? Yeah. Like, this is, there's a big, you know, it's still going to be talked about, like, probably even 50 years from now in New Zealand. Like, it's, it was such a huge deal. Right. So, like, yeah, of course, it's going to be super important to them. It's going to be something like that's going to be with that country, like, forever, man. Yeah. It's going to be special. interesting to see... The Amazon Lord of the Rings. Do they film in New Zealand? Or do they try to distance themselves from what the Peter Jackson movies even looked like? If they're smart, if they're smart, uh huh, they try to make something of their own. Right. Now, it doesn't mean they... they I mean, I guess technically it wouldn't, like... A huge, like, wouldn't be a bad thing to film in New Zealand, I don't think. Well, it's an interesting prospect because you have this big giant franchise that isn't owned by New Zealand in any stretch of the imagination, but because it's been such a big impact to that country, there is some kind of degree of feeling like you do own it to some level. So seeing it yeah. get filmed in, I don't know, England or whatever might not I don't know I don't know 
I also don't know how much I want to see that at all. Like, it's like, it's like the concept of like remaking Star Wars to me. Like, you don't do that. You don't remake Star Wars four, five, six with different people. It's like it's heresy. <laughs> right. Like, will they eventually do it? I don't know. Maybe they'll run out of ideas eventually. Thanks. But um. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, it'll be interesting just to like to, to think about like the identity of something like that. And I think when you hear the answer to that question, it, it'll it'll actually kind of tell you a lot about where that series is going to go. Like, yeah. Um, I think like if they do, you know, go back to New Zealand and have a lot of people, you know, from Lord of the Rings production originally, still be willing to do another one. Might I would start getting a little bit worried, honestly. I wouldn't mind if it was filmed in New Zealand again. That wouldn't bother me. I, I think a lot of it depends on, like, you know, who's involved, what direction they want to go. Because if they are just going to, like, try to mimic the same style as the films well, then that's, for a what's series, the point? Yeah. it's, it's going to be boring. I, I hope that they, you know... And it'll inevitably be the, the production com- staff. compared to it no matter what you do, but yeah. But I mean, like that, but that's why I think it's more important to just strive to, you know, have your own identity with. There's a lot, especially like making it a series, a lot more you can do. Yeah. A lot more you could adapt from the books and everything. In Drag it out a little bit longer. Have it like a lot of other interesting aspects of The Lord of the Rings, not just like the big awesome war scenes and stuff like Peter Jackson made, is a lot of like the lore. And like the yeah. seeing all the different creatures and like all the politics, so you can go much further into. And that. also modernizing that to a degree uh, will be interesting right. to see. Can't wait for that Gandalf sex scene. That's the one thing I know about these that they've announced. Not Gandalf specifically. I'm kind of joking, but there will be there yeah. will be nudity and fucking. In the Amazon Lord of the Rings, which is like so alien to me and to what we think of these movies as, that like I'm just like what? Who's fucking? I don't want to see no Hobbit fucking. Get out of here! What the fuck? No, thank you. I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a Hobbit. It'll probably be the, like the humans and elves. They gonna have the hobbits. Fuck you! Watch it. You watch it. I guarantee you. There's. I guarantee you there will be a lot of naked elves. Oh well, yeah, probably. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, we did the big diatribe, but you know, right. avoiding talking about the Hobbit for a little bit. And so, filming began in New Zealand in March of 2011 and ended in July of 2012. Although additional filming for the second and third movies happened in 2013. Now, a weird gimmick that we can talk about here is that the Hobbit was set to be filmed in 3D, not, which is, you know, not how The Lord of the Rings was filmed, and also at 48 frames per second, as opposed to the industry standard 24, which you may not notice if you're watching these on a TV, because most TVs uh, won't do that. They won't show it at 48, they will only show it at 24. 
it's kind of more of a video game thing, you know, the higher frame rate. I don't really see it with film as much. This is a weird concept to me that he even did this because it ends up looking strange. I, I don't know. Did you see this when you saw it in the theater, in a theater that actually supported the 48 frames per second? Mm-hmm. You did? It's weird, I thought right? it was interesting. I thought it was interesting at the time. Um, I was like, okay, we'll see how it goes. It's like, if you want to do something a little different, I didn't, like, I was like, okay, sure. I entertained it. Yeah, it, it gives a couple um, scenes a weird quality that I, I, I struggle to say anything except, like, it's like a fucking, like, like a TV show look. Yeah, that's... Which is strange. Yeah, that's kind of what it ended up as which like yeah you know what honestly don't mind that for adapting the hobbit if i'm being honest i guess Um, but like for the stuff that's being filmed which for the majority of this three film series is action uh i don't think it looks that great i think it looks strange and it takes you out of the experience because it's noticeably strange and it's right away, hard to get used um, to. Right away, the flashback scenes about the dwarves fighting like Moria and all that stuff um, look strange. And yes, that's like. But also because of the excessive like, amount of CGI, which I'll get to in a bit. Right. Here's uh, Jackson's quote about this decision, because I was like, "Why did he decide to do this?" Quote. Film purists will criticize the lack of blur and strobing artifacts, but all of our crew, many of whom are film purists, are now converts. You get used to this new look very quickly, and it becomes a much more lifelike and comfortable viewing experience. It's similar to the moment when vinyl records were supplanted by digital CDs. There's no doubt in my mind that we're heading towards movies being shot and projected at higher frame rates. Warner Brothers have been very supportive and allowed us to start shooting The Hobbit at 48 frames per second, despite there never having been a wide-release feature film filmed at this higher film rate, frame rate. Sorry, We are hopeful that there will be enough theaters capable of projecting 48 FPS by the time The Hobbit comes out, where we can seriously explore that possibility with Warner Brothers. However, while it's predicted that there may be over 10,000 screens capable of projecting The Hobbit at 48 frames per second by our release date in December 2012, we don't yet know what the reality will be. It is a situation we will all be monitoring carefully. I see it as a way of future-proofing The Hobbit, Take it from me, if we do release in 48 FPS, those are the cinemas you should watch the movie in. It will look terrific. End quote. Um, he, he's passionate about it, and you can tell. However, yeah. despite this big claim from Mr. Peter Jackson, most theaters end up showing it in 24 frames per second. And that is because... Yep. This is the era where the transfer to digital projection at old movie theaters wasn't fully done yet. It was in the process of happening. So lots of theaters don't have the digital projectors. They still have film projectors. And, I mean, it's a little complicated to get into why, but, I mean, it only works on digital 
because it was made that way. So, you know, most theaters don't have this. Some people don't notice it. People that do are like, why it looked like that? I think it was just a big mistake overall. And it kind of reminds me of something that is uh, in the news recently, which is uh, our, our old friend Christopher Nolan, Justin. Uh, <laughs> Nolan, with his new movie, Tenet, uh, I believe there was like a tweet where he was, he was, he was interviewed... And he was—he said that sound design and sound production is one of the, his favorite aspects of the filmmaking process. But uh, for the people that did see Tenet in theaters, a lot of people complained, including big-name, high-profile directors who complained to Nolan directly that the movie is mixed like shit and you can't hear shit. <laughs> You can't hear things. There are parts that are too loud, and you can't hear characters talking. There are parts that are so quiet that you can't hear characters talking. And having watched um, the original version of the plane scene from The Dark Knight Rises, this does not surprise me. So, what is it with directors having this passionate weirdness where they get stubborn about a feature or a gimmick that is not good <laughs> and they just stamp their foot down and go no it's good i swear we're doing it this way <laughs> and they don't listen to their contemporaries even it's really funny to me yeah it is and it's sad to see it happen with peter jackson because like you know you you don't want your uh your favorite directors to get a big head and to start acting like they have the next big thing lined up. You know, I, I prefer more humble directors that are like, well, I hope it's good. And then if it ends up really good, they're like, yeah, it was good. You know, I don't want people, to, I don't want the, uh, the Nolans to go like, my sound design is fucking Kino. All right, dude. <laughs> like when it sounds like fucking garbage. Uh, but I digress. 48 frames per second is weird. I don't know why he did it. Yeah, I don't like it, and uh, it won't be the standard. Um, it also is entirely different. Like, it's compare like for example, Peter Jackson's comparison to like vinyl going to CD. Oh uh, yeah, not the same. That's really pretentious. It's not sounding. the same thing. Yeah. I remember. I remember when that quote originally came out, and I was like, what. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a fucking ugh. It's like similar shit to like uh you know, and and I think he has the same mentality like George Lucas trying to take out all the practical effects and put in the the CGI effects because this is the new shit. It's gonna completely replace the old shit, you know. And Peter Jackson kind of has that mentality with this movie. Unfortunately, there is less practicality in the effects. There is more digital. And some of it looks good, but some of it really does not. You can tell which ones they took time on, which shots, and which shots were rushed. That becomes more of a problem in movies two and three, so we'll probably talk more about that then. But it does start here, in particular with one character, 
that I'll get to in a bit. But anyway, we're we're not even at the part where uh, this is three movies because originally it's two, if you remember, and that was still the plan. Yeah. All the way into 2012, it was still the plan. But Peter Jackson announced in July of that year, 2012, that the film series would actually be three movies. And here's the reason for this, according to Peter Jackson. Quote, We recognized that the richness of the story of The Hobbit, as well as some of the related material in the appendices of The Lord of the Rings, gave rise to a simple question. Do we tell more of the tale? And the answer from our perspective as filmmakers and fans was an unreserved yes. We know the strength of our cast and of the characters they have brought to life. We know creatively how compelling and engaging the story can be. And lastly, and most importantly, we know how much of the tale of Bilbo Baggins, the dwarves of Erebor, the rise of the necromancer, and the battle of Dol Guldur would remain untold if we did not fully realize this complex and wonderful adventure. I'm delighted that New Line, MGM, and Warner Brothers are equally enthusiastic about bringing fans this expansive tale across three films. He's starting to sound less and less human the more he talks about these movies. They, right. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like his soul's gone, Yeah, man. like he's sounding like more of a corporate tool, which sucks, because I really didn't want this for him. And I think there's a reason why it's been five years since we've seen the man, you know? Like, yeah. uh, his next movie is a documentary about the Beatles let it be uh, beyond that I don't know what Peter Jackson's been up to because seemingly it's not directing anything I feel like you know you know there's like behind the scenes footage of him doing a thousand yard stare you know just because the sheer task of getting this to work when he wasn't planning on doing it is tough I feel bad for him and it's hard it's hard not to feel bad for him but at the same time, it feels like he's changed and not for the better when it comes to making these movies now, which sucks. What's your take on it? I I don't know, man. I feel like... I feel like the way everything progressed for him and like very quickly with his career by the way um like like we were talking about before he wasn't you know he wasn't exactly yeah. the biggest guy when lord of the rings happened you know? no he's the di- he's the, the director of meet the feebles for fuck's sake like right exactly <laughs> so like he's, he was a he was a you know a small director with a with a big vision and a big heart for it and like, I feel like you can almost tell, like, um, like immediately, that a bit of that passion and soul is kind of gone. Yeah, at least on this project. And like, right. And but I think even on his like subsequent projects, man. I feel well, my like, point is there hasn't really been any. There's um, a right. project that he helped produce and write that was a big flop called Mortal Engines. 
Yeah, like that was that was pretty bad from what I heard. I didn't watch it. And he um, was associated with a sequel to Tin Tin that never came out and may not be still getting made, but may still be getting made. Nobody really knows as far as that goes. Uh, I'll watch his Beatles documentary when it comes out, but that's, yeah, you know, me we'll too. see. Um, I hope maybe, what I hope for him is that these years that he's taking out and he's taken out of the director's seat, maybe gives him a new love for it and like he, you know, finds something to be that passionate about again. Yeah. And I think, like, The Hobbit, like, partially wasn't his fault. Yeah, there's a chance um, that these quotes are kind of being delivered to you with a gun to his head, you know? Not a literal gun, but <laughs> the like, sensibility that so, you can't talk shit about this process because there's a million suits watching your every move you know like there is right. less freedom in being creative and even and even saying what you want to say about it too it, it not, so. it not that john not not just that like you're gonna be it's when when you get like put on top of a project like it, it, it you know becomes your project and i understand him like you know you're gonna have your that drive for it and you're gonna you know be supportive of it I don't feel like that. I don't like. I said I don't. He's gonna do that. Um, like this is something he didn't want to fall in his lap. That ended up falling into his lap, and when that happens, you're already like in a rocky spot. Like to start, I don't think they're like just from the jump with that. Um, this movie, these movies weren't gonna be anywhere near as good as the Lord of the Rings films. Just from that, right? Not the same. It's a shame. So, uh, we're, we're at three movies now. <laughs> uh, the two film plan was for the films to be titled The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, and then the second one called The Hobbit There and Back Again. These titles were moved to films one and three, respectfully with the second film planned to be titled The Desolation of Smog. You may notice that I didn't mention the third film's real title, and that is because that retitling didn't occur until the spring of 2014, with the movie coming out in the winter of 2014. <laughs> so, like, that's restructuring and re-editing and reshuffling and reshooting all the way up till the end is kind of a mad dash, I bet. I remember when that happened, I was so mad because, like, literally should have called the final movie there and back again. Like, you really should have. That's like, I believe title of the book. That's the title of like the in-universe book, bro. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? <sighs> I feel like they thought it was the more exciting title, this Battle of Five Battle Armies, of I guess. Terrible, but I, awful title. I, it sounds like it's the fifth movie, you know what I mean? When it's the third one, I don't know. And then, like, I, I've never been a fan of that title, like, even in the original Hobbit, because it's, like, it's kind of cheating. I think it's more like four armies, especially in the movie. But, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Yeah, I didn't like it. Anyway. It's like it's like, like elves, dwarves, men, orcs, and then like what's the fifth one? The orcs beasts that are on the orcs side, right? That's how that works, right? 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's, it's sure kind of like right. cheating. Especially in this one where the beasts are completely subservient to the orcs. They just ride them. Mm-hmm. And they're like these big hyena things they ride. Anyway. All right. The wargs are called. By right. Them. There. Got you. Let's talk about uh, the people that are in this movie and, as a result, the movie itself. That would be nice if we could actually talk about the movie itself, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? Yeah, we took, uh, what, an hour and ten minutes talking about (laughs) pre-production, but we expect this. It's super complicated for this movie, you know. Just the New Zealand shit alone is just such a big, expansive subject that could be a podcast all of its own. You know, right. You know, I, I, you know, again, if you want more information, those Lindsay Ellis videos are a great place to go. I highly recommend them. They're great. Her content's great across the board, really. Um, anywho, Martin Freeman as the Bilbo, the Baggins. Uh, this is good casting. This is really good this casting. Is a- this is top tier casting. My God, he works really I will well. Say. Like th- this is a good start, at least. Like I believed this would work with him as the and main, it, and it did. It did. It did very well. well. He's, like, I will he's say. honestly like, probably the best part of all three. Um, I agree. I love him. I love him in these movies. Yeah, I, I usually liked him in like basically everything I've ever seen him in. Like ever since British Office. Uh, I mean, Sherlock's not a good show, but he's good in it. Uh, and yeah. uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a g- great uh, movie that not many people have cared to watch. Um, I love. It would have been great if it actually started a franchise and they got to do all the other Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's books, but alas, they don't get to. They don't get to do uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe and all that other nonsense. Man. But uh, like I don't know. I've never finished reading all of those. I want to give that a go one of these days. I have that um, big, thick, single volume, complete Hitchhiker's Guide. That's like five books. If you've ever seen that, mm-hmm. things massive. I have seen that. Things massive. I've only ever read the uh, the first two i believe it just ended up to the point where i was like i wanted to read a different kind of thing i never finished it but anyway different discussion hope that gets some kind of like amazon series at some point or wherever series that would that would be great as a series yeah. and we'll see though but that's, that singular movie is great though um and he's great he's i love great it. In it he's he's such a good like every man that it just like works usually so for bilbo Best pick you could ask for, really. And next up, our next biggest guy. It's got to be Ian McKellen as Gandalf returning after playing the character in The Lord of the Rings. There was no chance it was going to be anybody else. Ian McKellen is one of the best, most well-remembered and celebrated aspects of that entire trilogy. But here's the sad reality of filming The Hobbit as opposed to filming The Lord of the Rings. You have the forced perspective thing that Peter Jackson employed on The Lord of the Rings where he would film the scenes in creative ways so that the actors playing short people would appear short even though they weren't. For this, they didn't fucking do that. Maybe they thought it would be hard because the entire cast was short. Because there's 13 dwarves in Bilbo. 
But this kind of leads you to the reality of filming the short actors. They're not short actors, but filming the actors that are shooting as short people on one set and then going to another set to film Ian McKellen as Gandalf and having him just have a little earpiece and hear what he's supposed to be saying. And Ian McKellen said that this was such a lonesome, shitty experience that early on he considered quitting the film outright. And he didn't. Eventually he got to have scenes with, you know, other people in them, which is good. But (laughs) it's like... Yeah, this does. It kind of reminds me of hearing about people like filming the Star Wars prequels and how like distant and weird it felt to do because there's this just like general air of fakeness to the movie that like makes it hard to like deliver anything resembling a genuine performance. That it kind of feels like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I do feel like. And McKellen's film is less genuine. And I like, think he's still really good. I don't want anyone else acting as Gandalf, and I think he still does a good job. But never, never in my life. Yeah, he definitely else, has like, more opportunity to interact with people in the Lord of the Rings than he does in this because of that. But uh, his his lines are still good. His introduction scene where he meets Bilbo, which is actually like almost word for word what yeah, he says is. in the novel, is quite good. And he did admit that he liked playing Gandalf the Grey again because he always preferred that version of the character to Gandalf the White, which he played in two of the previous movies. So, our third big guy, the lead dwarf, Richard Armitage as Thorin. This is probably what this man is most well-known for playing, but I find him great as the voice of Trevor Belmont on Netflix's animated Castlevania series. Man's got a good voice. It's a good, deep, uh, masculine voice that works well for these kind of characters. And um, as, as much as some of the stuff that happens with Thorin later in these two movies is kind of dumb, I like him a lot. Actually, I I think Thorin's a good character and he's executed well here. Um, <laughs> it, it does always make me laugh to think that like the reason he's the dwarf's leader is he is the the one that's the tallest. <laughs> he's the least dwarf like of the dwarves. I think they intentionally did this. So that he seemed a little more like Aragorn, right? Yeah. Because you want that big action man, and you don't want him to feel look like he. There's there's a clear difference in character design between Thorin and the other dwarves that we're about to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um. I think overall I like how diverse the dwarves look, though, because they don't all look the same. 
each one of them is different and unique looking, even though for several of them, they are barely in the movie in terms of a speaking role, you know? But... Yeah. So let's go into these dwarves and talk about them a little bit. Uh, In my notes, I have their names, but also a brief description of which one they are, because I dare you to know, as <laughs> unless you're a super fan, which dwarf is who, which one is named what. Besides Thorin, I don't have a fucking clue. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's just so many. And I think that's part of the joke that they embrace here. Because you even have that scene where Gandalf's like counting them, and he's like, you know, Balin, Dwalin, Fili, Kili, Gloin, uh, Oin, Bifferbo for Bomber, <laughs> and like all of their names. And it's just like, yeah, there's just a lot of them. Do you remember any of the dwarves' names? All right, I'm going to try. Yeah. Ready? I mean, I did just say some, but. Yeah, but I'm going to see. Okay. Dwalin? Yeah. Fallen? Yeah. Healy? Yeah. Healy? Yeah. Tori? I think so, yeah. Nori? Yeah. Ori? Right. Loin? <laughs> Loin? Yeah, yeah. Bofer? You have a checklist to check against me here? <laughs> Are you just, like, assuming I'm right? No, I, I have them all written <laughs> down, my guy. Okay. A Bofer. There's Thorin, of course. Yeah. Two more. It's Biffer Bofer Bomber. I, I, I said oh, that already, damn it. so... Yo, I was close. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, naming the reindeer. Like, you could kind of <laughs> have, like, a fucking naming convention to him. Like, it's kind of like a rhyme. You know? I, I almost have them I almost have them all memorized and that is somebody who's read The Hobbit like almost a hundred times. Right, well that's the so, thing. Like you're a little more well versed in it than even me. You got you but know But even then, like that many times it's still hard to remember all of their names. Well their names are, are meant to be rhymed and like, you know, all the like the brothers have rhyming names, like Philly Killy and Bifferbow for Bumper <laughs> and shit like that. But anyway, right. let's go through them. <clears throat> and their actors playing them and whether you know I'll, I'll say stuff about them if it's uh, important to me sometimes it's not important to me so go fuck yourself anyway <laughs> Ken Stott as Balin who is the older one with the big white beard he probably besides Thorin has the most dialogue of any of the dwarves I think because uh, he's like the older one, the wiser one. He gets to tell stories to Bilbo about them. He's the one that tells him all about Thorin, you know? Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Your wise old Then man. we got Graham McTavish, which is a great name, as Dwalin, who is the first dwarf to arrive at Bilbo's house for the meeting. Uh, so he played the Saint of Killers on Preacher. And he's a pretty good one at that. Looks different in this movie, but he always plays like a formidable-looking man. Um, He voiced Dracula in the Castlevania Netflix series, speaking of that. And, Justin, 
He played the main antagonist of Uncharted 2, Zoran Lazarevic. Oh my god. You know, I'm sure you remember him, at least because of that last boss fight. Uh, yeah. And he also plays a character in Uncharted 3, Charlie Cutter. So, lots of weird, nerdy things for you there. Uh... Then we got Dean O'Gorman as Feely. So that's kind of like the uh, Feely and Killy are kind of the, the younger dwarf brothers who are kind of cocky and kind of sure of themselves and kind of dumb. And they end up getting a lot more screen time as these movies progress. Um, Aiden Turner as Keeley, who, uh, you know, his plot gets really expanded because he gets to fall in love with an elf. More on that next week. Unfortunately, <laughs> we got Peter Hamilton as Gloin uh, to differentiate him. This is the father of Gimli. This isn't mentioned until part two, however. Uh, John Callan as Oin. He's the one that's hard of hearing. He uses that horn to his ear to hear what people are saying. Now, he's interesting because in the Lindsay Ellis videos, he spoke to Lindsay Ellis. Uh, she interviewed him, and he revealed various complaints <laughs> that he had <clears throat> about the production and New Zealand's deal with Warner Brothers that, you know, fucked every New Zealand actor over. Now, Callan claims that throughout production, more screen time and focus was given to the more conventional-looking dwarf characters, saying he and others were more like the, quote, world's highest paid extras, end quote. He says it felt like Peter Jackson wasn't the person with the final say on what happened with these films, and that Warner Brothers were very cold to him after he publicly remarked uh, about not being invited to the premiere for Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, Callan kind of said that he was kind of joking about it, but then Warner Brothers emailed him very sternly and was like, you can't to talk about us like that and then ended up inviting him to the premiere and then went ahead and didn't say anything to him at the premiere. Uh, he, he does make a point to say that his relationship with Peter Jackson and most of the people involved was very positive and it was overall a positive experience. Let's but there is the question of how much they got fucked over by the New Zealand government's deal with Warner Brothers. And right, that's the problem. You know, it is interesting to see that as the movies progressed, maybe that corporate influence came into play in determining what dwarves got more screen time with Feely and Killy getting a lot more in parts two and three and weird-looking dwarves <laughs> like Oin with his horn in his ear uh, don't get shown as much, you know? It is it is what it is, I suppose. I love Oin, man. He's a kook. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's funny, dude. I, I love the design of them. I really do, because they're all so diverse, and they're all so fucking whack-looking. They went really out there. With some of their designs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of like how they're described yes. in the books, too, you know, right? Like, right. They're, they are, like, these really, like, characteristic, outlandish-looking characters. 
And like, I think they capture that perfectly. I really don't have any complaints about the way this movie looks. I mean, the frame rate stuff's kind of weird, and like the CGI stuff's bad. But like, their costume design is like, as always, on point. Well, once again, the production it's, design is fucking out of this world by Weta Workshop. Uh, you right. know, they're just, just so good. incredible. But yeah, it's just like. I mean, there's other aspects that kind of, I think, drag it down a little bit. I do think the overuse of CGI is, like, a big issue. Right. Anyway, continuing, we got Mark Hadlow as Dory. He's white-haired, but not as bushy as Balin. We got Adam Brown as Ori. Uh, he's the one that uh, looks like he has about two brain cells. Uh, I, I I always laugh. Uh, a YouTuber I like, uh, Dunkey, has used his image multiple times as a joke for just it's really weird and out of context and hard to describe but anyway uh he his head stuck in my head partly because of that and partly because this fucking terrible game i played called the bunker uh adam brown plays the lead role in that game uh, i fucking hate that game thanks adam brown anyway uh <laughs> Uh, Jed Brophy as Nori. He has the star-shaped hair. Very bizarre looking. Uh, Brophy has appeared in small roles in most of Peter Jackson's films. Uh, William Kircher as Biffer. This is the one with a literal axe stuck in his head. Uh, <laughs> it's like some real like MGS5 vibes going on here. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, James Nesbitt as Bofer. This is the one with the hat who uh, has a little bit more dialogue than some of the others. Uh, that scene where he notices Bilbo trying to sneak off and has a, a bit of a heart-to-heart with him. Uh, he played the lead role in Jekyll, which uh, is a show. And uh, sure that's is. about all I can say about it. Uh, Stephen Hunter as Bomber. This is the very fat one, who basically every joke about him is that he is... Very fat. Yep. And that's all the dwarves. Now we can talk about characters that aren't dwarves. Whew. All right. (laughs) So I'm going to repeat myself a couple times here, and it is for comedic effect. So just let me go here for a second. Kate Blanchett as Galadriel reprises her role from the Lord of the Rings in all three Hobbit films. Was not in the Hobbit. Nope. Christopher Lee as Saruman reprises his role from the Lord of the Rings films in the first and third Hobbit films. Was not in the Hobbit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and do the other one. Do the do other the one. other one. Uh, well, the other one doesn't appear until next week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, Never mind. Uh, We'll wait. We'll, we'll wait. talk about Legolas we'll next on, week. On, yeah, we'll talk. Wait up. Yeah, we'll wait up. The other one we have, I guess, is Hugo Weaving <laughs> as Elrond, who reprises his role from the Lord of the Rings in the first and third Hobbit films. However, he, he was, was in he, The Hobbit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, like you know, it is what it is. I understand why they were like, "Let's get Galadriel back. Let's get Saruman back." I understand why. That all right? The the scene, the scene where they're all together and like talking and everything. I was completely cool with it as an added scene. That scene's good. Perfectly fine. That with it. scene's good. Right. Their scene in part three that we'll get to 
in a couple weeks is, awful. is fucking terrible. <laughs> awful. This scene, this scene, if this was the only scene that had them in mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the Hoppo, it's like one or two movies. You, you could sort of stretch it to be two movies. Wouldn't have, so wouldn't have been that happy with it, but yeah. it would have been fine. I like but the dynamic scene, between these characters having this council. You know what I mean? Uh, right. To keep that, that's fine. Yeah. You can do that. That's cool. I like that I scene. I like, just like how Saruman it has this like holier than thou attitude and thinks he's smarter than everyone involved and keeps talking even though like Gandalf and Galadriel start having a conversation without him involved. Right. <laughs> that shit's great. And it kind of like, you know, I like this version of his character too, Saruman, where he's he's not evil yet. He's just kind of a dick. He's the great. He's the great wizard. Yeah, uh, he's, he's kind of. He is someone who uh, must have had a lot of success in life to become the most powerful wizard, and he's let the success go to his head, and he kind of thinks he's always right now. Do you get what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah. I'm saying Saruman thinks that the film should be in 48 frames per second, too. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about one of the worst characters ever. Sylvester McCoy playing Radagast the Brown. <laughs> uh... I don't like this. No, I hate him. <clears throat> was not in The Hobbit. <laughs> no, but sure wasn't. But was barely in The Lord of the Rings, not the movie, the the books. Um, right. Not not so. He, so he was cut out of Lord of the Rings, uh, but added back into The Hobbit that he is not actually in. Figure that equation out. I don't know. Bruh. Bruh. Close. <sighs> McCoy is most famous for playing the uh, seventh incarnation of Doctor Who, by the way. Um, I don't get it. I don't like this character. He is a little too kooky and a little too weird and a little too strange. They were trying to be too cute with it. You know? It's a little too far that he has bird shit all over his head. It's a little too far that he's like, oops, I have a stick bug in my mouth. It's a little too far that he has like a team of mush dogs, but they're jackrabbits. It's all a little much. I'm sure there's big Tolkien fans that are like, bro, Radagast the Brown is the shit, dude. But, like, I I just, I can't. He's fucking stupid. I really don't like him. I wish he wasn't in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I Thank you. I, I hate and it, And, you know... It's so... He, <laughs> if 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 he served the story, I would forgive it a little more. But he's really only here to kind of point Gandalf in the right direction, which is the direction of the necromancer, which ends up not 
being what the necromancer was in the hobbit but being um surprise surprise sauron so um whatever uh he keeps showing up in these movies and that's unfortunate whatever and and you know what him appearing on screen is the exact moment that the movie stops being really good by the way did you notice that Mm-hmm. The movie is really good for like a solid 40 minutes. And then there's a scene with Radagast and it kind of grinds to a screeching halt for me where I just go like, what are they doing? Why is this here? And then the movie does that a couple more times before it's over. <laughs> anyway, speaking of characters that weren't um, really in the Hobbit, but were kind of in the Hobbit, but we're, we're not, but we're kind of... Let's talk about the villain. This is Manu Bennett as Azog, who uh, his most uh, prominent credit is that he played Deathstroke on Arrow. Here he is playing the orc leader who killed Thorin's father and is still alive and is trying to kill Thorin today. Um, you've read The Hobbit. Zazog yep. and that shit? No. He kind of is. Kind of, but not like, not like this. Yeah, so he was the orc leader who killed Thorin's father, but he was killed by Dane. Uh, in the book, his son Bolg is more of a villain, but it's only during the Battle of the Five Armies, I believe. He's not like this <laughs> pursuer character that constantly interacts with our main cast like he is here they wanted like a main villain for the trilogy which is strange because I, I guess but i guess like because smog has to die before the battle of the five armies you want another one but i don't think don't you need, need one I, no like you have a well it doesn't have to be that's the problem with this sometimes. It's like multiple times in this trilogy, it's just like trying to be the Lord of Rings. It's like it's not. Yeah, like you need like a big orc bad guy. Which, bad. Like, granted, the orc bad guys they created for Lord of the Rings were original creations. But they didn't have this big lore and arc attached to them that's like related to the main characters. They were just a big bad orc that the guys needed to fight. Like uh, Lurtz... <laughs> in a fellowship of the yeah. ring you know he kills boromir right where it's just ever any, any random orc in the book but you know that gives that moment a little bit more uh oomph you know and that's like you want aragorn to kill that guy now uh here it's just like you know eh. like yeah okay it gives thorin a little more motivation to kill this guy because he killed his dad uh, Bolg is also in this as Azog's son, but he just kind of let gets to be a mini boss for Legolas to fight in part two. Now, yeah. yep. I'm going to send you a picture. And the point of me sending you this picture is to talk about what they did to these characters. Uh, so this is Bolg. Here you are, Justin. You see that? Uh, you at home can see this if you type in Bolg 
practical on Google <laughs> Images. So here's the thing. That is not what Bolg looks like in this fucking movie. Nope. It looks so much worse. I think it looks better. No, like, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, Bolg looks so much worse in the CGI version of him. Right, um, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Now I need you to... I mean, Bolg's not in this movie. He's in parts two and three, so you'll maybe have more of an idea of what I'm talking about, but he looks like shit. This is a way better design. Um, Azog kind of looked similar to what he ended up looking like, but it was done practically like this. So, they were originally going to be portrayed on set practically, and it was filmed as such. Just like the orcs in The Lord of the Rings were. However, late into the process, they are replaced by completely CGI characters. And this is because Peter Jackson thought it would look better. I disagree. <laughs> Uncut Gems GIF. I, I disagree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's just... How could you think that the CGI monstrosity that is Azog would look better than a practical orc? I realize that it's just a guy wearing a mask at the end of the day. But when a workshop made some good-looking orcs for the Lord of the Rings, uh, Lurtz looks cool, and so does that orc chieftain from Return of the King that has the fucking cauliflower head. He looks yeah, unique. Dude and grody and cool it makes sense and having an actual actor there leads the performance to feel a little more real than it would if it's this cgi monstrosity and the decision to do it late means that this cgi is worse than something like say Gollum. Gollum looks really good in this movie, and that's because it was always intended to be CGI, and they probably worked on it for a longer time than they did for Azog. And that's kind of a shame. <sighs> Should have just let it go, man. Yep. Also, you know, because that's not enough films for this movie. Uh, we got to have the Goblin King, played by Barry Humphreys, who is a Australian comedian known for his stage characters. Here he gets to play Big Fat Goblin King with a big fat ball sack on his face. I don't like this design, uh, particularly because there's a little too much going on for it for a CG character. Uh, maybe less is more when it comes to that, because this is like, you know, it's going outside of the realm of realism to make him really gross looking and while it succeeds in being really gross looking it kind of just makes it look like a cartoon and and not like anything resembling a realistic effect and it's distracting as fuck and he's also very annoying the goblin king i i get that he's supposed to be to a degree because he's a villain but uh Oh, wait, you watched the theatrical version, Justin. You didn't have to hear the Goblin song. No, I did not. I did. <laughs> I didn't like it. Uh, he sings a song, down, down, down in Goblin Town, and it's like really long, 
and has no point other than he sings about how Goblin Town we're gonna fuck you up here and um, no thank you I'm good let's talk about a good CGI character though Gollum Andy Serkis uh, let's just yeah. talk about that scene really because that scene is probably the best thing in all three of these movies I, I absolutely think. agree. Um, the Gollum scene in The Hobbit 1, if if I was to do a ranking of my favorite scenes from the entire six films that Peter Jackson directed, it would be on there. Despite the fact that it's, you know, in the middle of a not as good movie. This scene is done really well. Everything works really well. It's right from the book. And, but it's still merged with the Gollum that we got in Lord of the Rings to the degree that it all just blends together expertly well. This is what these movies should have been the whole time. But, alas. <laughs> and Andy Serkis is as good as he ever was here. Um, this Gollum fucking kicks ass. This scene is so good, and it's oh, yeah. really funny too. Um, just as he, as he was in Lord of the Rings, that part where he like, is talking to himself and uh, like Bilbo talks to him, and he's like, "We wasn't talking to you." Is <laughs> is yeah, it's so it's good, excellent. I'm, it's so cool that they found new stuff to do with that <laughs> thing where he talks to himself, and and the riddles are good too. They're right from the book, right? At least I think most they of are. them are. The the teeth one, yeah. And the uh, mm-hmm. air, wind, or whatever. My favorite, my absolute favorite <clears throat> part. What's well, I mean, you know, it's, it's really good. It's why people talked about it and remembered it, and why Tolkien based his entire plot device for his next three books around it. And Andy, I, you know what? I'm very thankful that Andy Serkis as Gollum only appears in this one and not the other two because he probably could have given how much they expanded and stretched everything out to such a degree. Like, what was to stop them from going... Maybe Gollum chases them and interacts with them down the line at like the Battle of the Five Armies, yuck yuck, and tries to get the ring back. That would have sucked. I'm Awful. glad they didn't even try. Glad. I'm glad they didn't so try. Glad. <sighs> Maybe the reason they didn't try is because Andy Circus had another job during the production of this movie. He was a second unit director. Uh, and I think he is going to be premiering his first directorial debut, I think, pretty soon. Because uh, it's going to be fucking Venom 2, <laughs> which, like, I, I don't know. Good luck with that one. I want to believe that Andy Serkis could be a good director, but, you know, maybe the best film to test that is not... Venom 2 with Woody Harrelson as Carnage. 
<laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know, man. Looking forward to it. Anyway, uh, and then I, I guess last but not least, we have cameos from Elijah Wood and Ian Holm as Frodo and Bilbo as an old man. And I, it's a little unnecessary, but I actually like their scenes here. Um, because it works as kind of a little prequel to their first on-screen appearance in the Lord of the Rings. I kind of like those moments. It's kind of cool seeing like an innocent before he was uh, uh, (laughs) ruined by his worldly experiences, Frodo, uh, for one last time. Yeah, uh, I I thought it was nice. It's a nice little, just, just a nice little extra touch. Yeah. And stuff like that I don't mind. Right. So, before we cap this off with talking about, you know, the things we usually talk about, what are some things that you like about this movie? Because I genuinely think there's a lot of good stuff here. There is, especially in this one, there is a lot of great... There's a lot of, like, I would say great stuff. Yeah. I I would say, like we were talking before, nothing short of, like, excellence from, like, basically every performance like that's not one of the issues yeah with with these movies and, and even going through the other ones there's only a few minor issues as far as performance right i don't like radagast like, but thankfully you know when he's gone he's gone yeah. that's so that's fine <laughs> um the dwarves are great i love their performances i love just like I, I think my favorite stuff in the movie besides the golem scene is when they all show up at bilbo's house and that that yeah, seems done really well, dude. When I first saw that in the theater, yeah, it seemed like he was nailing it, it, right? It really felt like the book coming to life, man. Like the same like mystical wonder, them singing the song, all the dishes flying around. Yeah, like, that that's like that's what the Hobbit is. I'm pretty sure know? there's an additional song in the extended edition. Um, you watched the theatrical. Did they sing That's What Bilbo Baggins Hates or whatever? Mm-hmm. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah, that, that one's... I, I don't know what all they added. It's probably just, like, little things. Um, I think the main thing they added was the... Uh, down, 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 Goblin Town. And let me look this up while you uh, tell me a couple other things that you like. Um... I really like like we were talking about before, like the CGI stuff. I do love the way Gollum looks. Um, yeah, funny, he looks better, you know, in this film than he ever has. But you know, that's only because technology's advanced. But once again, I think like comparatively, he looks better because they were prepared for that and they knew what they were doing. I just feel like it definitely worse in CGI. Even in this movie, there's some couple points where it it I goes. I know that kind of turned into a negative, but the positive is Gollum looks great. Yeah. Um, wonderfully acted by Eddie Serk. I'm sure he chugged a lot more Gollum juice for that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Huge props to him. Right. Um, set design, the, the music, once again. Um, that's a couple of, you know, your good old the fucking shitty... Uh, Goblin Town song in the extended edition, which I know about. I've I have another nitpick with the music that I'll, I'll get to in a minute here. Okay. Yeah. But, like, for the most part, you know, I'm reprising some of the theme. 
you know, you want to get that emotion act because <laughs> you're going this in reverse order. But a lot of the new stuff is also good. Um, it, it's it, it's funny because there's a lot of there's there's a lot of like similar positives in like the technical aspect. Um, compared to the Lord Rings movie, you know, there's aspects that are great failings. Yeah, as far as that goes. But the major the major problem with the overbloatedness, the some writing issue. Right. Right. Biggest thing is that it's just bloated to shit. Oh, it is. All right, let me get into some of the stuff that gets added in the extended edition, just so you know. Um, We get a little bit of... There's a tiny scene that I do like that is a flashback to Bilbo as a young man. Like Like a little kid, I should say. Little kid Bilbo. And he has a little tiny sword, and Gandalf is there, and he looks just the same as he always does in these movies. And he's shooting off fireworks, and Bilbo's like, yeah, and he attacks him with a little tiny sword. And it's kind of like just to hammer home the character arc of he used to be adventure-loving, and then he grew up. And now he's more serious and stuffy and kind of lost that sense of adventure. So when Gandalf comes to him again and is like, do you want to go on an adventure? He's like, no, but in his heart, he's like, yeah. So I I think that kind of made sense as a little additional scene. You don't necessarily need it, but that's what these are for. And, um, there's a lot more of the scene in Rivendell, a little more of the dwarves being, Uh, Not the biggest fan of the elves' food and music. Uh, (laughs) I think there's a scene that's not in the theatrical where, um, uh, whatever his name is, the the, the dwarf with the hat gets up on the table and sings a dwarf song, and the elves hate it. And, like, they have their, like, disgusting stoic faces because it's, like, this fucking, like, you know, they're playing harps and shit, right? You know, they're playing this beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, sensual music, and then this dwarf jumps up on the fucking table and goes, you know, die, 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 and kicks food and shit around, you know. And they're just like, it's what the funny. fuck is this shit? You know, so a little funny. more of that. You get a scene where Bilbo gets to talk with uh, uh, <laughs> Mr. Smith <laughs> for a second, which isn't in yeah. the... Uh, theatrical uh bilbo sees the ring in a painting at rivendell actually and that's the first uh little hint of events that were uh, further talked about in lord of the rings um you know it's not anything integral and you do have to have that goblin song um I guess the Goblin King is kind of presented as a little more eccentric because of it in the extended, but that's about it. Yeah. So, I think I generally like everything that you like. It's just bloated to shit. The The part that I hate the most is the ending, where uh, we have the out of the frying pan and into the fire moment. And they literally say that, uh, I think it's cause it's a title of one of the chapters in the book, but like, that doesn't mean they literally say it out loud. But anyway, uh, <laughs> where they fight Azog and 
Um, you know, we have this big moment where Bilbo proves his worth to the dwarves by tackling Azog or or some other orc like he like a fucking linebacker <laughs> and like it doesn't make sense that Bilbo would be able to tackle this man given the fact that he's a hobbit and the man he's trying to tackle is twice his size but even beyond that i think it kind of undermines like i know i realize the point is that bilbo is brave and putting his life on the line for the dwarves and that leads thorin to trust him and go i've never been so wrong in my life and like you know that's a good moment i guess but the lead up to it is not necessarily a scene of bilbo using his smarts to outsmart a situation which is you know what he does for the rest of the movies and earlier right. too, like with the trolls, which is also a good scene. Um, but here it's just, you know, it just, just tackles an orc <laughs> like whatever. And also uh, that my nitpick with the music comes during this scene. Uh, you have this big epic moment where Thorin just walks right out to meet Azog in battle and they play music that you may recognize from the Lord of the Rings. But, uh, it's the ring wraith theme. And like that, that means that it doesn't fit. It fits tonally, I suppose, because it's this epic, like, you know, operatic, like, you know, with, like, you know, sung lyrics music. But, like, you know, it's it, it, it speaks to the fact that, like, they hastily just assembled this scene because they wanted, you know, all of a sudden there's three movies. And so they need an ending for the first one. So they make this shit up. Just completely make it up. And it's a big CGI mess, and they just throw any music they can on top of it and just wave their hands of it and just go, that's the end of the movie. And it feels really rushed and really poorly done. Uh, not a big fan of the throwing the pine cones. Why are there so many? Not a big fan of the eagles returning. Only gives more fuel to the yeah, fire definitely. of, uh, why don't they just take the eagles that everybody always fucking says. <laughs> um, it really doesn't help that argument when it seems like Gandalf can just summon them whenever. <laughs> oh, and that gets worse later, too. Uh, we'll talk about that. I think in part three there's more eagles. And we'll certainly talk about it if there are. I, th I think there is. Get there. Okay, that is there. the worst one. I think in terms of ranking this, it is fourth because of course it is. But it may stay there. It may stay there. I think th in rewatching this, I feel like I may end up liking it more than Desolation of Smog because Definitely. I used to like Desolation of Smog. But I think I will maybe not like it on a repeat viewing now. At least in comparison to this one. This is the good Hobbit movie. Um, even to the point where, like, you know... 
I don't not recommend these movies. There's still good stuff in them. It's just you're going to have to sit through some dumbass shit in the meantime, too, which is unfortunate. <laughs> do, do you agree with the ranking? I'm sure you do. There's no question here. I, Jesus there's Christ. no question yeah. here. That's it. So, an unexpected journey had a budget between 200 and 350 million that exact number is disputed and maybe not accurately recalled by um, the people who made it now the entire trilogy had a budget of 745 million or so which is significantly more than the lord of the ring trilogy's budget which was around 281 million uh, a lot of cg but, uh, boy, that's a lot of money spent. Jesus Christ. Anyway, the film grossed $1.021 billion. At the time, this was the 14th highest grossing film of all time. It surpassed Fellowship's gross and Two Towers' gross, and not Return of the Kings, because that was too big of a beast. Um, neither of the other two Hobbit films came close to this one's gross, and I think that's because, well, obviously, <laughs> some people lost interest as it went on, because uh, they saw this one. <laughs> that can't be helped, can it? Um, no. Usually the sequels make more money. This is a case where I think they made less money as it went, uh, which is not ideal. <laughs> they still made enough money to uh, make the... The whole thing worth it. They probably did already by the time the first one came out. But anyway. Uh, currently, uh, if you care to know, this film is ranked 45th highest grossing below Zootopia. <laughs> it's, it's weird that like you look at that list of the highest grossing films of all time and it's like... It's kind of scary to look at because it's all stuff from like... The past five years is kind of crazy yeah. how much money is <laughs> happening for companies like Disney now. Whereas, like something that was like the highest-grossing movie of all time at one point is now way down there. Like Return of the King is uh, crazy mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, it's weird to think about. The film uh, wasn't very successful with critics. 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. That was the lowest for a Middle-Earth film at the time. But, uh, well, earmark that. We'll revisit yep. that. Now, many Next criticize week. the stretched-out narrative and the overuse of CGI, but, yeah, the worst is yet to come. For sure. I will say, this film did get some Academy Award nominations. Best Visual Effects, Best Production Design, Best Makeup and Hairstyling. It won none. <laughs> but it got them. Um, continuing the uh, streak for the Middle Earth films of the uh, most Oscars for a franchise. Uh, most Oscar nominations. But also I think most Oscars for a franchise as well. Crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Well, that's oh. about it for me. Uh, I uh, yeah, that'll 
That'll do uh, it for, I guess, our overview of the Hobbit one. And we're, like, like last time, we are talking about the overall production of these, but, man, it's uh, ready for a disappointing ride. Yeah. There is stuff to like. And, and there is. It's just... It's so disappointing, though. Comparatively. Yeah, comparatively. Like, what in what it could have been, I think. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll dive more into the, it does get worse. The Hobbit, an unexpected disappointment. Nah. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying. But the worst is yet to come. All right. Yeah, we'll get Wee-ha. there. Talk to y'all next week. Bye, everybody.